is an Odyssey original. This is KNX In-Depth, and for Rob Archer, I'm Brian Ping. And I'm Charles Feldman. Hey, remember when we got all that rain not too long ago? That was a lot, and we're in for even more now. Two icy, cold storm systems moving into Southern California. And by the way, they might be the coldest storms in many years. In fact, in fact, there's a chance you could see snow in parts of the local valleys. So we will go in-depth into whether history is going to be made with weather. We'll also look into how local governments can be held accountable when they spend hundreds of millions of dollars on emergencies like the homeless crisis in L.A. And President Biden tries to one-up Vladimir Putin when it comes to the war in Ukraine, countering the Russian leader's address with a big speech of his own. People make career changes all the time. You may be going through one right now, but usually the transition from one to the other makes sense. For example, an athlete will get into sports broadcasting after his or her career. We will talk to an actress who had a great, well-paying job until Hollywood came calling. You'll probably never guess what she was doing. We'll go in-depth. But we start with the strong, icy storms surging into Southern California. Alex Tardy is a warning coordination meteorologist with NOAA in San Diego. Alex, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me on. So we've been hearing about it for days now. It's kind of building up uh, either excitement or dread, depending on one's point of view. How bad is this storm going to be? Yeah, you're right. This is the one we got to be careful with. Um, it does look like it's going to be bad. Um, it's been building up since last week where we saw the potential for a cold storm, unusually cold storm. And now it's starting to show up as the whites of its eyes. So we're having confidence that not only is it going to come here, but it's going to do things that we're not used to in Southern California in terms of wind, rain and snow, especially. Every day uh, you know, before I go on air, I check the you know, National Weather Service, NOAA, get the complete rundown of the forecast. And today it was just jaw dropping. I mean, seeing these snow levels coming down to 1,500 feet, as Charles alluded to, that could get down to some valley floors. How often do we see the snow levels drop that low? Yeah, it's not very often. It, it's in the line of every five to 10 years. So I had to go back to 2019. And then even 2017, and even those storms were really marginal. There wasn't much snow below 2,500 feet, so 2,500. Then you got to go all the way back to the early 2010s, if you will, 2011, 2012, where we saw snow down to 2,000 feet, even a little bit lower. Now, in 2014, we had a big storm, and uh, the Riverside area, Temecula, had snow all the way down to a thousand feet, so that still basically comes back as a you know once in ten year type storm. Well, the Hollywood sign, for example, was about fifteen hundred feet in elevation, so we're talking about the possibility of snow below the Hollywood sign. Yeah, no, you're right. The snow comes in, the cold air comes in tonight, and we we see it come in fiercely. So there's going to be a lot of wind tonight when everyone's sleeping, getting up tomorrow. We don't see much precipitation or much snow, even though it's going to be just downright cold tomorrow morning, until Wednesday night. That's probably our best chance for the Hollywood sign to see some snow that actually sticks. Might be some flakes tomorrow morning, but to actually stick and accumulate, 
That would be Wednesday night and Thursday morning. For those people in L.A. who have never seen snow, how would you describe it? Yeah, it's going to be one of those situations where um, you might have to pinch yourself. Certainly people will be taking a lot of photos. We'll probably have a scenario where some of the areas that have palm trees, uh, you know, between 1,000 feet and 2,000 feet, post some photos of some snow. And again, the best chance and an unusually good chance looks to be Wednesday night and Thursday. Now, don't expect, you know, the 405 to be covered in snow. We're not talking about that low. But we are talking about some urban and some valley areas, you know, all the way from Riverside, Temecula, to Ontario, to Pasadena, up until Antelope Valley, where where we see some snow that may actually stick on the ground a little bit Wednesday night and Thursday morning. Well, and you mentioned that the 14 corridor, which connects the high desert with Santa Clarita and L.A., that could get, I'm saying, up to about a foot of snow. That's pretty remarkable. And that could really ruin a lot of people's uh, commutes. Yeah, it's going to be, you know, exciting and scary, as you said, with snow that low. But for the communities that are more used to snow above 3000 feet, including like the Cajon Pass and and the areas you mentioned, you know, that's going to downright be dangerous because we're talking not just an inch of snow. We're talking several inches of snow and and that snow could continue all the way into Friday until finally it warms up a little bit. Okay, that is Alex Tardy, Warning Coordination Meteorologist with NOAA in San Diego. Alex, thanks for joining us. We're going to go even further in depth into a subject that we touched on last week, which has to do with local government money and states of emergency. Santa Monica has now joined L.A. City and County in declaring the homeless crisis an emergency with the goal to speed up help. So with us now is Laura Chick, former Los Angeles City Controller, and Courtney Ruby, the current Oakland City Auditor. Both of you, thanks for being with us. Thank you. So, Laura, let me begin with you. Uh, You know, I was reading a story just the other week about all the billions of federal dollars that were given out around the country because of the pandemic and how much of that money has gotten lost. Nobody knows where it went. Nobody knows what it was used for. Nobody knows where it is. Now we have all this money being poured into, and let's just take the city of Los Angeles for the moment, to deal with the homeless crisis. But a lot of red tape is being cut. We hear that from Karen Bass, the current mayor, a lot. They're cutting red tape. They want to make sure the bureaucracy doesn't get in the way. But that bureaucracy, does it not, is there for a reason. Isn't it there to make sure that all that money, tens of millions of dollars, is spent correctly? Well, that's what we want, but um, I'll give you an example. After I served as city controller, Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, actually created a position and hired me to be the inspector general over all of the Recovery Act money that California was receiving back in 2009. We were getting billions of dollars. Any time that public money goes out fast, And it needs to go out fast when there's an emergency and a crisis. And there was a huge crisis going on in the economy in 2009. The money went out so fast and Governor Schwarzenegger wanted a hawk to watch, someone who would watch like a hawk, follow those dollars. And one of the things we did right away up front was convened a task force of all of the heads of every state department that was going to receive some of that federal stimulus dollars and met once a week 
talking about how the money was going out. Was it being spent effectively? Who was watching it? Part of the problem is dollars often don't get spent on oversight. They're getting spent on the services that are needed, but some of it needs to, and that's the red tape you're referring to. We need the red tape of having oversight to make sure the money is being spent effectively and properly. There are fraudsters out there. It's in right. human nature, yep. right? Right. Okay. Well, Courtney, I want to ask you, uh, in Oakland, as far as implementation of this emergency funding, as I don't know, you, you get a look at this every day. Can you confidently tell the, the people of your city that it is going where it needs to go? You know, I would echo exactly what uh, former IG Schick said, that, you know, the city, so much money comes in and, and goes out. We just issued a report last year that showed the city spent nearly seven seventy million dollars over the last three years on contract homelessness services. So that is the money that is going out to contractors to help make sure people are housed. And we could not determine whether they were properly housed, whether they actually got housing. So we showed mixed results. So if you don't have that oversight, you know, as you're suggesting, like right off the bat, looking at how the dollars are being spent and affirming that, then what this report showed is that they didn't they didn't have a strategic plan to go out and actually spend the money to effectively get the results. The results were mixed, and we couldn't tell you, you know, how many people had been housed, had remained housed. Right, because there's only so much that the city can do once it gets into the hands of contractors. Uh, it's it's hard to supervise that. Absolutely, and what we know is that every day, five percent of a city or a municipality, a county, five percent of the revenues go out the door to fraud, and contractor fraud is a huge issue. Laura Chick, how concerned are you? You're the former uh, L.A. City controller, as we mentioned up top. How concerned are you about all this money, as we said, coming in uh, and with good intentions? But are you worried that maybe some of that money is going to be not used with good intentions? Yes, absolutely. Based on the track record of of watching how public money is spent for good purposes, um, intended purposes, and it gets siphoned off by the bad folk. Um, and it's why I absolutely think, for instance, in the city of Los Angeles, um, a, somewhat equivalent to Courtney Ruby's position as auditor, there's a city controller who can be starting to audit now and and. The audits take a long time, but there's ways of going back and doing checkup reports like every four months and reporting back out to the mayor and the council and calling out uh, problems loud and clear. And I want to add one thing to this picture. We need a public that's paying attention and a public that gets indignant when they hear that money isn't being spent for what it was intended, especially to house people who are living on the streets. Right. Oh, and through that, do you think that we need better oversight of the bidding process and maybe some contractors who have a not-so-great history with using that money well, maybe they get eliminated from the process next time? It's one of the things that I audited as a city controller and often found, um, and uh, uh, Auditor Ruby knows this, if there aren't, and it sounds like, you know, green shade and yawn and boring, but if there aren't written policies and procedures and, that are being followed, then you are opening the door for all kinds of fraud. 
and for contracts to be awarded to the wrong people. Okay, that's Laura Chick, former L.A. City Controller, and Courtney Ruby, the current Oakland City Auditor. Coming up, we're going to talk in studio to an actress who now has a very big role in a new streaming series alongside an Academy Award-winning actor. And you're going to want to stay tuned to find out what she did before acting. It's not anything that you might think of. Right now, though, President Biden has countered Vladimir Putin with a big address of his own as the war in Ukraine approaches its one-year anniversary on Friday. The president told a large crowd earlier today in Warsaw, Poland, that there are hard and bitter days ahead in fighting off Russia's invasion. Putin said in his address to Russia today that he's not changing his strategy. Aaron David Miller is a senior fellow at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace and a CNN Global Affairs analyst. Aaron, from what we've been hearing over these last weeks and months is that this war is eventually going to transition as we get into the warmer spring months into almost this conventional warfare with big tanks. I know Ukraine wanted the big advanced German and American tanks, and this could be just uh, an all-out brawl out on the open plains of the Donbass. Is it still looking that way? Well, it looks to me like the long war. Now, maybe uh, the Russian counteroffensive will fail to materialize. And the fact that the Ukrainian military is far more adept on the battlefield, integrating its air, artillery, and infantry could maybe score some gains for, uh, for Ukraine, Zelensky's army. But uh, I got to tell you, it strikes me that we're still in to a very slow ground. Sanctions have not impeded Putin's capacity or will to make war. And the reality is neither side seems to be in a position to inflict the kind of military um, victory on the other that would lead to a, a fundamental change in the in, in what is now a sort of uh, all quiet on the Western Front World War One uh, grind. So I think it's it's the long war until I'm persuaded otherwise. Well, and then there's another problem, isn't there? And that is that in the past week or two, there's been a noticeable uptick in uh, stories, mostly leaked stories to the New York Times and the Washington Post and others about Washington's concern about China and whether or not China is going to be supplying any weapons to uh, or any other kind of military assistance to uh, Russia. And they've been warned uh, both diplomatically uh, through back channels, but also rather publicly, again, through some of these leaked articles. What's the danger of Chinese involvement? And do you think they are going to do that? Uh, a very good question. And obviously, this is the willful use of intelligence. Just at the, at the administration deployed intelligence in the weeks before Ukraine's Russia's invasion of Ukraine in order to condition and prepare uh, its allies and uh, perhaps in a, in a last minute effort to ward Putin off of this thing. It's it, Again, this is deployed intelligence in an effort to create enough of a deterrent uh, among those fence sitters. Uh, who, frankly, remember, two-thirds of the world's population live in countries that have not brought on to sanctions. You have India, obviously, who have China. A Chinese decision to actually um, supply Putin with military equipment, and some Chinese companies, by the way, are already supplying computer systems to the Wagner Group, which is the private militia of of one of uh, Putin's allies, Prigozhin, um, they're moving toward that. But I think the Chinese also understand that uh, at a time when they're trying to restart their economy, the last thing they want to do is to fundamentally court Western sanctions. And I suspect you'd have to uh, expect that um, we we would, in fact, begin to sanction the Chinese. So I think they'll straddle the fence unless it appears that Vladimir Putin is facing a significant 
military defeat, then the Chinese calculations may change. Okay, that is uh, Aaron David Miller, senior fellow at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, also a CNN global affairs analyst. Aaron, thank you. You're listening to KNX In-Depth, along with Brian Ping today and for Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. Usually, aspiring Hollywood stars show up here as unknowns with nothing more than a dream. They don't often arrive with an established career already intact. Unless that person happens to be Gloria John. She was, ready for this, she was a practicing board-certified dentist. Wow. Oh, I could have, Gloria, I could have used you years ago. <laughs> uh, who, who caught the acting bug while in Chicago. She's never been the same and now has landed a role in the new Amazon Prime show debuting this Friday. It's called The Consultant, which stars Academy Award-winning actor Christopher Waltz. Glory is, of course, with us now. Welcome to In-Depth. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me to this wonderful show. (laughs) So so let's get the the dental stuff out of the way, because it it, it is odd, you have to admit, uh, but you were a a practicing dentist, right, for, for, what, eight years or something, right? Oh, more than that. More? I had my own practice for eight years but oh about now i'd say almost 18 to 20 years i have to oh really wow i, I don't want to give away my age no 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 don't do that <laughs> <laughs> but but right so, so you were a, you were an established dentist in chicago yes and all of a sudden now here you are not all of a sudden but here you are in a a really you know well-positioned show on amazon prime with a, a, as we mentioned, an Academy Award-winning actor in the lead. So no small task. How did that happen? How did you go from dentist to actress? Honestly, I think uh, it, it kind of like unfolded itself. When I was in Chicago, I was having some health issues, and um, my friend at the time said, Oh, why don't you try Second City Chicago, which is infamous for sure. you know, all these comedy yeah. and you know. Uh, and so I just went there for a class, and I uh, assigned in a class that's an acting class, not an improv class. They're famous for improv as well, mm-hmm. but we did all. Well, he was very much uh, more of a um, like a. A very kind teacher I met, someone who's very inspirational. I was very lucky. Uh, his name is Michael Pieper. And that just brought on that these are my people. This is what I was meant to do. And just that, I just fell in love. And that was it. From there on, I just did everything I can. All the theaters. I did a lot of theaters in Chicago. A lot of sketch comedies. I met my husband doing sketch comedy. But, but were you doing all of these while you were still practicing dentistry? Or did you yes. give up? Did you hang up your drill? And, oh, and, no, no. I no. couldn't do that. Yeah. So I was running my practice. And I oh. was also uh, doing uh, all the shows. But didn't feel like work or tiring because I just love doing it. So huh. it was just more like a fun thing that I was doing. When yeah. you were a young child, Gloria, what did you want to be when you grew up? Did you want to be a dentist? Did you want to be an actor or both? I, or something totally different? I wanted to be a doctor because I grew up in a home that wasn't so... It, my dad was pretty abusive. Um, no, sorry. So, mm, thank you. My mom was a very lovely person and I wanted to kind of rescue her was what I was thinking I think in my mind and so I came to America when I was 14 and I told my mom that I'm just going to stay here and become a doctor and then I'm going to bring you to America to live with me which and you're originally from Korea South Korea Korea. yeah Seoul Korea 
and I did that actually. I lived with my mom for about ten years. Now she's in L.A. Like you know, very close to me as well. So, so mothers are kind of all the same, I think, in many ways. Mm-hmm. Did your mother, having seen you be a success as a dentist? And I presume you were making pretty good living. I mean, I, I've never met a poor dentist. At least yeah. None of the ones I've got ever <laughs> gone to. Uh, did she agree with your wanting to give up this practice after all the years of schooling and building up a clientele to become an actress, which is, you know, a risky business? It is very risky. And coming from an Asian family, you know, it's just not something you do. And she thought, you know, it's not a wise decision, of course. And most of my family thought I was crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I've always kind of been that black sheep of the family. When I set my mind to do something, I did it. It's so I, my mom says I caused her a lot of heartaches. (laughs) But at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. So maybe you didn't get quite get that support from the family, but did you have, you know, friends and people that you could lean on the way that you got steered towards Second City and improv and then, as you discovered, you enjoyed it. You made some connections along the way, some friends. I'm sure they were instrumental in getting you to where you are now in your acting career. So you Absolutely. had that support. Yeah. Uh, my husband now, especially, he was a big support in that. And I think a lot of times when your spouse is very encouraging towards your success and sees the potential in you that you don't see, I think that's a, truly a gift. And so, yeah, he was like, it's... and. I don't know if I believe in like universe and any things yeah. lining up and signs from the above. And at the time, everything was kind of like finally punching me in the face, like move. And yeah, but but, do I'm tr- but yeah, but but when but coming to Hollywood, right? And you came to Hollywood. Yes. I mean, you know, they didn't just. I presume they didn't just say, "Oh, look, there's Gloria John, ex dentist. Oh, no. Welcome, Gloria. Here's a script." No. I mean, wh- how did that happen? Well, it was a long, like, seven years of constantly being in class, constantly being in workshops, um, casting director workshops. When I think about it, when I first came here and I did some of those workshops, like, what the casting must have thought of me because (laughs) I wasn't prepared, like, at that time. But I was working at it constantly, and I practiced, and I think anything you practice every day and work hard at, um, if you're really have this belief that you can do it, I think, I mean, you can't just think and then not, you know, put in the work. If you put in the work, I think the opportunity does find you. And when you're ready with that opportunity, it can happen. Let's talk a little bit about the show itself. I was trying to describe it earlier very badly, but, (laughs) but you're in it. So presumably you can describe it a lot better. What is the consultant about? The Consultant is about, um, it's a dark comedy thriller where the consultant, who is Christopher Waltz, uh, comes into a company where the CEO is no longer there trying to save the company, but it's a video game company. So all the employees are young kids, you know, in a sense, and they have a very different idea of what, how to work or, you know, what workplace looks like and he takes some extreme questionable scary measures to really torture them <coughs> and i think i think there's some murders in it oh and so it's a and this is a comedy 
It's a dark, dark comedy. comedy. Very yes, dark. Yeah. Very dark comedy. Yeah, that's the thing about uh, Christoph Waltz. He's, he's such a tremendous actor for oh, Glorious yes. Bastards, the Bond films, everything. He can do that. It, it sounds kind of, you know, uh, off the wall when, you, when we mention all that uh, crazy stuff that happens, and yet there is that levity, that, that comedy. He, he can do that. It, it must be a real thrill to work with him. Absolutely. It was... Um... I mean, the way he does it, like, it, he's, like, such a nice and sweet person, like, when he's not in his role, and then he just pops back into that role, and it's, like, chilling and scary, and what he's going to do next kind of, you know, thing that he does so well. So, yeah, he, I, we, we all, he's, he's an incredible actor, but also an incredible person, I think. He was very concerned about Ukraine. We talked about that. He's very concerned about, like... Uh, you know what's going on in the world, and very kind to the actors. Now, do, do you have a lot of scenes with Kristoff? I have the scene only with Kristoff. That's it, only the, really. Yes, I had him all to myself. So, so <laughs> was that was that intimidating for you? Because here's a guy who was won an Academy Award and and two uh, Academy two Academy Awards. Awards. Yes. Oh, okay, right, two. Yes. So, is that as an actress? Is that intimidating for oh, you? Absolutely. I was like, this is insane. I'm. I'm in a scene with him only um, for the whole day, and I had a very emotional scene, so I had to emotionally be in that state the whole day. And but then he just made me feel so comfortable, like you know, like an uncle or you know, someone that is family, and just very kind and just very soothing and grounding. Just he, I. It, it was just like being with the family. It was he just made me feel very comfortable. So it was fine. But yeah, getting there. And once I got there and I met him and he came later, I was just like, oh, my God, that's Christoph Waltz. How am I going to do this scene with him? Well, I, well yeah, but Gloria, I find it difficult to think that anybody could intimidate you because, as I understand, you are a double black belt in samurai swords. How did that come about? I mean, you are so well-rounded. But how did that chapter in your life come about? That chapter in my life came about when uh, I was much younger uh, in my college years where my boyfriend, who was very good at kendo or kondo, the Japanese well, or Korean um, samurai sword, swordmanship. Like, have you seen um, Last Samurai? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's that. That's oh, what wow. it is. Yeah. So I was very competitive and I wanted to, you know, be just as good as him. So I... I was the only girl in the dojo, okay. and I just climbed up the ladder of there. There's a, like a, you place your protective equipment in a roll of who's the senior, and I became like the third senior in like five years or something. So it, you just do it. You just keep practicing. Yeah, but 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 <laughs> but, but you have not one. You have two black belts. Why yes. one wasn't good enough? <laughs> I just kept doing it, and they, it just came, you know, because I love doing it. There was one time in our dojo, like, my my master was very older. Uh, he was in his 70s. He was also, like, a Buddhist monk. Mm. And he, I was the only girl, so he would teach me things, like, behind, like, because I don't have the strength to hold them back, so I would have to be faster or have a technique where I use their weight. And there was this one guy who came in, and he wanted to fight me because we spar and um you know he was trying to like push me down with his strength and i was able to use his force to like flip him and he flipped down the, <laughs> the floor and wow. then his skirt like lifted and 
my master was like kind of smiling, but he couldn't laugh. You know, he's just like a smile. So he he kind of had more attention to me because I was the only girl in the dojo. So so, so he, wait, so so are casting agents afraid of you because between the double black belt and you can probably hit them with a really big <laughs> dental bill. I hope. I mean, not. you know. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> well, I mean, that could be, that opens doors for roles where you could absolutely play someone who's you know proficient in your swordsman skills. And I would love. There could to. be a lot of roles in that. That yeah. could be exciting. I I would love to play a because it's more about uh, mastering your mind, mastering. Right. Um, it, there's a saying: it's a sword of saving, and mm-hmm. it's not a sword of killing how you use it. I, so. I, I'm curious about one thing because, you know, a lot of actors say that the hardest thing they to do is to play themselves. If you ever had a role to play as a dentist, could you play a dentist? Absolutely, but I don't know if they would want to see me in that yeah, I, I think so. <laughs> but you I wouldn't get cast as a dentist. It's very strange. <laughs> I was going to say, would you know how to hold the drill? Or? Oh, absolutely. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so. I still, yeah, I think so. All right, just checking. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that is uh, Gloria John, actress, dentist, double black belt. I could go on and on. Gloria, thank you so much for thank joining us Thank you so today. much for inviting me. It was and a the, pleasure. And the show again is on Amazon Prime. It's Friday night, and it's called The Consultant. Yes. Mm-hmm. This has been KNX In-Depth with Charles Feldman. I'm Brian Ping. We'll be back tomorrow at 1 p.m.